0: You guys can go ahead and grab a seat, grab your Bibles, and while you do, trivia question. Who likes trivia? Good, good, like seven. Awesome. Uh, So, uh, here's the question. On average, how many words does the adult speak each day? How many words does the average adult speak each day? Who wants to throw out a number? Yeah, what you got? One thousand. Good. Good. 7,000, good. 300, 300. that's a quiet one, I like it. We should practice that more. Nathan, this one in the middle. 8,000, we got 7,000, 8,000, 1,300. What you got? 500 and 700 with troublesome kids. 500 and 700 with a troublesome kid, I like that, good. Jackson? 50,000? Wow, that's too much. Okay, Lincoln? 3,281. 3,200, it's 3,282. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, The correct answer is 15,000 words a day. 15,000 words a day. They used to put studies out that said the average male speaks like 7,000 and female speaks 13,000 or whatever, but they realized that wasn't kind So uh, they just said the average adult speaks 15,000 words a day. We use words to express thoughts. We use words to communicate with others. We use words to accomplish tasks. With so many words each day, we have tremendous power to use our words to glorify God and to bless others or to glorify ourselves and to harm others. Uh, You guys have heard it before. You've maybe even said it before. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt hurt me. Look at your neighbor and say, "That's that's a lie. Okay, that's a lie. Words are powerful. We have a great and awesome responsibility to steward this ability To the praise of God's glory. Uh, Tonight is our final night in seeing Paul unpack several practical examples of what it looks like for us to be transformed into the image of Christ. What Paul has done so far in the book of Ephesians is he's put out the gospel for us. He's reminded us of what God has done for us in Christ And then he's called us to continuously embrace that gospel, to delight in that gospel, to cling to Christ's righteousness and not our own. And as we do that, to grow in Christ's likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit, making us more and more like him. So in Ephesians 4, verse uh, 22 of chapter 4, This is the the passage that we've been looking at. Let's look at 22 all the way through 32. This whole passage all in one shot. Here we go. It says, uh, We are to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Uh, We've been looking at these examples over the past several weeks. Uh, We talked about uh, how Paul says, hey look, uh, follower of Christ, stop lying and instead tell the truth and build one another up by speaking the truth in love to one another. We saw Pastor Robbie preach, uh, be righteously angry about the things that God is angry about and then rid your soul by God's grace of any sinful anger. Uh, Last time we gathered together, Pastor Nate preached, repent. Don't simply stop doing things that are sinful. Start doing things that are righteous, that are holy, that are Christ-like. He encouraged us to get serious about sin in our life, and by God's grace and the Spirit's help, to put sin to death. And now tonight, the final example, uh, Paul encourages us to put off being mean and to put on being kind. It sounds simple and it sounds a bit elementary, doesn't it? Like stop being mean and start being nice. And yet, this is one of the clear marks of a transformed life. In Galatians chapter five, Paul is listing out the fruit of the spirit, that which the spirit of God produces in our hearts once he takes residence within us, once we've turned from our sins and trusted in Jesus. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he takes our unkind, our mean hearts and he begins to transform it into a heart that is filled with kindness. So this is something that's a big, big deal. It's something that's a supernatural reality that the Holy Spirit of God would be transforming our hearts to make them kind. God's people should be an increasing in kindness kind of people. So what is kindness? Kindness is one of those words, right? Like, you know what it is, you use it all the time, you use it in regular language, but when somebody says, define kindness, how would you do that? Kindness is a generous inclination towards others. It is an awareness of others accompanied by a thoughtfulness to seek their good. One of the greatest capacities we have for expressing meanness or kindness is in our words. This is why Paul, I think, puts these concepts right next to each other here in our passage in Ephesians chapter 4. So before we look at this particular passage, though, let's get a biblical understanding of the power of words. Uh, So what we're going to do here for the next few moments is we're going to develop a theology of language. It sounds smart, doesn't it? We're gonna do this together, a theology of language. So go to Genesis chapter one, please. Genesis chapter one, and I think it would be helpful if you flipped in your Bible so you can kind of see all the way from beginning to end how God is using words in a powerful, powerful way. Uh, In the beginning, we know that God created the heavens and the earth, and how did God create the heavens and the earth? Chapter one, verse three, And God said, let there be, and there was. The way that God creates is by using words. And God said words, and that came into existence. God said, and it came into being. God could have waved his hand. He could have done some kind of hocus-pocus dance or something. But intentionally... He chose to create by using words, by using language. He spoke, and the Bible makes it clear that this is the way he created. Uh, Just a little bit further down in chapter one, verse 28, as God creates mankind in his own image, he speaks to mankind as soon as he creates them, and he says this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So in order to convey mankind's purpose, God uses words. Uh, he could have used like some kind of mind meld or something and like just put it in there and said, you got it, got it, good, okay? No, but instead, he uses words to clearly communicate. Then, Adam and Eve are given the ability to communicate with one another. Uh, Adam uses language, he uses words to, cre- or to create names for the different animals that God creates, to exercise dominion over creation and therefore fulfill the purpose that God gave him. Uh, Look at Genesis chapter three, please. Genesis chapter three, enter the snake. Up till now, the narrative has shown the use of words to create and to care for what God has created. And what's the very first thing that the snake does in Genesis chapter three, verse one? He said to the woman, The very first thing that the snake does is he opens his mouth. And now instead of words being used to create and to care, words are being used to destroy, to corrupt, to deceive, to instill doubt, and to kill. Get to the end of Genesis chapter 3, after mankind sins against the Lord, and what does God do? He uses words. To put a curse upon humanity, to put a curse upon the serpent, but also to proclaim words of salvation and words of promise. And what we're going to see all throughout the scriptures and all throughout our lives is this battle between words words that either corrupt and kill or words that give life and instill grace. And this is what we see here in the very beginning, and this continues all the way throughout. Chapter 4, verse 8 Cain and Abel, look at how this happens. Cain spoke to Abel his brother and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and he killed him. I think on purpose, God's word is drawing our attention to this importance of words and the relationships that exist between individuals and how powerful words can be. Flip to Genesis chapter 11, please. Genesis chapter 11, another familiar story. Tower of Babel, right? Genesis chapter 11, Verse one, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Interesting that they would be drawing attention to this reality. One language, same words. 11.3, they said to one another. 11.4, they said to one another. 11.6, and they all have one language, God says. Nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible. There is great power in words, there is great power in language. He continues to say, Come, let us go down and confuse their language. And then what happens? Language is confused, people can't understand each other anymore, and so people scatter to the ends of the earth. Now, fast forward in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, please. This is in the New Testament. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. And then right after John comes the book of Acts. This is after Jesus lived, died, and rose again. This is after Jesus ascends back into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. And so the Holy Spirit of God, the Comforter, the Promised One that Jesus said would come to be with His disciples so that they would be with Him forever, comes and lives within them, and He empowers them. And how does he empower his disciples, his people in Acts chapter 2? Look at verses 1 through 11. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, all his disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak In other tongues, in other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. They were confused because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Frisia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, like a lot of different languages, a lot of different nations, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own language, in our own tongue, the mighty works of God. This is such a beautiful picture and what's happening here is it's a reversal of the Tower of Babel where language was used to scatter people, to put people apart because they were using language for evil to combat the Lord and his will and his ways. Now God, because the Holy Spirit has come, because Christ has come and accomplished his work on the cross, The spirit of God comes and empowers his people to speak in other languages, no longer to scatter, but now in order to gather a people unto himself. It's a beautiful reversal of the Lord saying, I'm taking that back and I'm using the power that's already inherent there. And now I'm using it to make much of my name and to advance the gospel of my son. Revelation chapter seven, verses nine through 10. You don't have to turn there. It says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People from every tribe, language and nation all gathered together. And then Revelation chapter 19, verses six through seven Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a mighty peal of thunder crying out, hallelujah, which means come let us worship our God together for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory these people from all nations and languages gathered together and this isn't like a collapsing all into some kind of heavenly language but it's a clear understanding that all of these people gathered together can praise the Lord can worship the Lord in unison because of what God has done in Christ because the Holy Spirit has worked this transformation and now gathered before God's throne when they were once scattered because of language they're all gathered back together again It's a beautiful, beautiful reminder of God's sovereignty and how he has filled certain things in life with such power inherently and yet he can use that power by his spirit for great good and yet we can use that same tool by our flesh for great evil and to do great harm. So, back in Ephesians chapter 4. Language is powerful. And this is why Paul, in talking about kindness, brings language to the discussion. As we're talking about these practical examples of how do we put off our flesh, how do we be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and then how do we put on Christ-likeness that's like righteous and holy? How do we get after that? This is his final example, and he begins by saying this. So put off meanness. Look at verse 29, please. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What does he mean by corrupting talk? This is any kind of talk that destroys, that harms, that brings damage into other people's lives. It includes lying speech where we speak what is untrue in order, in order to avoid something we don't want or to attain something that we do want. This is what we talked about several weeks ago. Corrupting speech includes lying speech. It includes abusive speech that intentionally seeks to harm others and to put them down in order to exalt self. Lying speech, abusive speech, harming others intentionally, putting them down, building ourselves up. This includes gossip and slander where I talk about someone or something with any other intent than to love that person. Gossip and slander where I talk about someone or something with any other intent than to love that person. It might be to intentionally harm them. It might be to enjoy the thrill of being in the know or to show that you're some great keeper of secrets. And so as you begin to slowly let those secrets out, you show people that you're the person that people always come and tell. That exalts self. It doesn't love and serve and care for others. This also includes filthy speech. Look down to Ephesians 5, verse 4. Paul puts some more flesh on this. He says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. I think this one is really critical. These aren't just harmless words. These aren't just things that we say, right? Uh, God cares about the things that come out of our mouth. And especially today, for whatever reason, a lot of the comedy that's out there is crude humor. It's filthy joking. It's not funny, it's sinful, is what God's word tells us. It's not some harmless, oh, yeah, 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 I'm just watching that for the end. No, no, no. God's telling us, uh, that's sinful. That's contrary to Christ. That's not pleasing to me. So all of this, lying speech, gossip and slander, uh, intentionally harming others with our speech, uh, filthy speech, all of it is corrupt. This word corrupt, uh, another translation of it is rotten. So the Bible uses this same word to describe rotten fruit and rotten fish. So just kind of get that picture, image, smell, taste in your mouth here for just a second. God's word is saying that our speech, when it's not used for building up, when it's not used for kindness, when it's not used for love, it's like rotten fish or rotten fruit. It's not helpful for nourishing. And it stinks, And it ruins the entire atmosphere where people are impacted by such speech. Has the ability to harm those who consume it or to influence those who are around it. It's a speech that's destructive and is effective only in tearing others down. And here's the reality. Every single one of us have been on both the giving end of this kind of speech and on the receiving end of this kind of speech. We have seen how much power our words have and how much power others' words have in our lives. Maybe for you, you hear the same words ringing in your head often. Maybe it's something a parent told you, a teacher told you, a coach told you, someone that you gave a platform in your life, that you gave an ability to speak into your life and to influence you, and they said something that stuck with you and every time you think about it, it causes you to question or it brings about pain or some sort of a negative, adverse emotional response because of the power of their words. Maybe it was something like you're not good enough. Maybe it was something like you're not pretty enough. Maybe it was something like you're just not smart enough or you're not worthy These words that others speak into our lives, they cut deep and they stay long. And your words have the same power in others' lives as well. God's word is saying that this kind of speech, this kind of corrupting talk, this kind of talk that tears others down, it's not compatible with your calling. It doesn't fit in the life of a Christian. Corrupting speech simply doesn't fit for those who are walking in a manner worthy of their calling in Christ Jesus. And why is that? It's because it flows from a heart that is not corresponding to a transformed Christian heart. It comes from a heart that is still steeped in flesh and in sin. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37, it might be on the screens here. It is, is. it's on the screens here. Yes, thank you, Ellie. Way to go, girl. Um, Matthew 12, 34 through 37, Jesus says this, How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, this is pretty serious, guys. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus is saying that your words they're not just, you know, things that just come to you all of a sudden and you just kind of blurt them out. What he's saying is what comes out of your mouth has a direct correlation, a direct connection to your heart. That out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth just cannot help but overflow with speech. That the things that you treasure, the things you think about, the things that you love, the things that you're thinking, all of that that's going on here in your inner person, in your heart, in your soul, all of that eventually comes to the surface. And that we'll be judged according to our words. Not because our words save us or condemn us, but because our words are a reflection of what's going on. In our hearts, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Corrupted speech comes from a corrupted heart. Corrupting speech that tears down, that destroys others, that seeks harm for others, is speech that comes from a sinful heart. Uh, I don't know if any of you are tea drinkers, but if you have a bag of tea, you can't really tell exactly what's all in there. But as soon as you put it in hot water, you know exactly what kind of tea you're dealing with. And it's the same reality with our hearts. We might not know everything that's going on in there, but as soon as any kind of pressure or heat is added to our lives, see what comes out. And that's what's going on in our hearts You see, we can be pretty good at having like a super critical heart and having an exacting critical nature towards other people, but having a really good filter. And so we can kind of hide behind that filter and people don't know what's going on in our hearts. And sometimes we deceive ourselves in not knowing what's going on in our hearts. But when pressure comes, when heat is added, and what's in there comes out, we become more and more aware of what's going on in our hearts. And it's not just in those moments. It's in every moment, every word we say helps us understand what's going on in our hearts. Now, wait a minute. All of that that Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 12, corrupting speech out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, that sounds a lot like what Paul's saying in Ephesians chapter four, right? That diagram that we put on the screen for several weeks, that it starts in the heart, that it infects our thinking, and then it results in fruit. It's the exact same thing that Jesus is teaching here. So it's a question of the heart. Is your heart... Is my heart filled with kindness? Is it filled with a generous inclination towards others? Or do you have a critical and exacting spirit towards others? By exacting, I mean like you're always nitpicking, you're always finding where they fall short, and you're always seeing how you're better and they're worse. Or do you have a generous Inclination, believing the best, loving them, caring for them, being generously inclined towards them, aware of what's going on and having a a desire to seek their good. Look at verse 31. Verse 31, Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. Is this what's in your heart? Do you hold other people's wrongs against them and withhold forgiveness from them even when they seek it? Are you just angry at people in general? Do you have like a general hostility towards others like they're in your way or they're not giving you what you're due or what you want? Do you have resentment towards others because they have what you want or because they failed to give you what you wanted? Stop for a minute. Think about your words today. Think about the conversations you had that you thought about before you had them. Think about the other conversations you had where you were just simply responding. What did you say? What did you text? What did you put on social media? How are you using your words? Are they coming from a heart that is full of anger, slander, clamor, and malice, or is something else happening? What Paul tells us is this is not the way that you have learned Christ. Brothers and sisters, all of this belongs to the old self. The fruit of the Spirit includes kindness, so the Spirit of God should be transforming our hearts and producing kindness, redeeming our speech and putting it not to use for corruption, but instead as a means of grace. Not to tear others down, but instead to build others up. So what do we do? We put off meanness, and we put on kindness. We put off meanness, we're renewed in the spirit of our minds, and we put on kindness. Look back at verse 29, please. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but this, only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. My speech should be used for building up, not for tearing down. My speech should be fitting, not out of place. My speech should be giving grace, not bringing condemnation. Why? Because my heart should be filled with kindness. Verse 32 tells us that we're to put on kindness. It says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Brothers and sisters, kindness is a spirit-wrought reality. It is something that the Spirit of God produces in us. And only the Spirit of God can genuinely transform our hearts to be kind. The only way that we can increase in kindness is if we put off meanness and we're then renewed in the spirit of our minds. You see, in the flesh, our minds think, I'm great. And everyone should be more like me. People exist to serve me. This is my world and everyone else is just living in it. I deserve to be treated in a certain way or the other end of all of it, right? The other end is I don't like myself and so I don't want others to like themselves either. Misery loves company and I want others to feel the same pain that I'm feeling or I can make myself look better by making everyone else Look worse. That's the way we think in our flesh. But as we reflect on our position in Christ, we begin to renew our minds according to truth. Instead of thinking in that way, because the Spirit of God is living in me, I begin to think a different way. I begin to recognize that I was dead in my sin, that I have nothing of worth to bring to the table, that I was created by God to glorify God, that my life should be all about loving God most and serving others even above myself. I recognize that I am not lovely, but Jesus is lovely, and he makes me lovely in the Father's eyes. Why? Because when the Father sees me, he doesn't see my righteousness or my lack thereof. He sees Christ's righteousness. When I reflect on when I remember who I am in Christ and what God has done for me in Christ, I ask myself questions like, how can I be impatient with anyone? God has been infinitely patient with you and with me. Or how could I withhold forgiveness from anyone when I consider my sins upon sins against the Lord and his infinite mercy and grace in forgiving me? How could I hold bitterness in my heart against others? when God has so graciously granted me his favor in Christ. You see, when I reflect back on my position in Christ, when I consider the gospel, when I apply the good news of Jesus Christ to my life and remember who I am and who God is for me in Christ, it changes the way I think. The Spirit of God produces that kind of thinking. I'm diligent to find that kind of thinking and truth in God's Word and to meditate on it. And as the Spirit of God takes that truth and impresses it into my soul, my heart changes, my thinking changes, and therefore my words change, my speech changes. And instead of having speech that's corrupting and tears others down, my speech is transformed by the Spirit of God and because of the truth of God. And because of that, kindness begins to pour forth. Out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth begins to speak. You want to change your speech? You want your speech to be the kind of speech, the kind of words that build others up, that give grace to those who hear? Don't say, I'm going to be nicer. I'm going to use better words. I'm going to give more grace. No, instead say, Holy Spirit of God, change my heart. Make me more like Jesus. Fill me with kindness And as my heart changes, I trust that you'll use that to overflow into the way that I speak to others. And then people won't be torn down. People won't be corrupted or destroyed or harmed by our words anymore. Instead, people will be encouraged. People will be built up. People will be loved. People will be helped. People will be blessed when we open our mouths. Now, this is really important. This doesn't mean that all my kindness towards others will be pleasant. This does not mean that all of my kindness towards others will be pleasant. A kind surgeon cuts deep to remove what is killing me. And sometimes I must use my words to say to others what they do not want to hear. But I do it because I love them and I want to do what is good for them, even if that makes me the bad guy. And I do it with a heart that's motivated by love, and I do it in kindness and with gentleness and with grace. And yet, sometimes I must open my mouth in such a way that others don't find pleasant. You see, Jesus was perfectly kind. He used his words to speak truth, he used his words to build others up, he used his words to give hope to others. He also used his words to reveal others' sin and then to extend forgiveness and to show compassion. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may our lives not be characterized by meanness. Would others know us for our kindness? And would others love to be in our presence because they know that when we open our mouths, our kind hearts that have been transformed by Christ and indwelt by the Spirit will overflow in words that bring grace. Friends, we have 15,000 words To use tomorrow? How will you use them? Because know that they have immense power. So, Father, we come before you thankful for your word, thankful for the words that you have spoken to us and over us and into us, thankful that your words have power and that you have used them to draw us to faith. God, you tell us in your word that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so it was very words that you used to bring about the salvation of our souls and you continue to use words to encourage us and to spur us on and to comfort us and to instill our hearts and lives with hope. And Father, because you've created us in your image, you have given us the same capacity to use words in a powerful, powerful way to give grace, or to destroy. Oh God, I pray that you would forgive us for the many words that we've uttered even today. Words that have not been seasoned with grace, words that have not fit the occasion, words that have been used to tear others down. God, we ask that you would be doing a transforming work in our hearts to give us hearts that are filled with kindness, that erupt with kindness towards others. So God, I pray that this room would be filled with your children who open their mouths and when they do, others are blessed and helped and encouraged and given grace. God, we need you to do this. And we know, Father, that it's impossible to tame the tongue, that with the same tool we use it to bless you and to curse others. God, we have great hope in knowing that you can transform us, that you can bring about a change. But we also have great hope in knowing that when we fail, when we fall short, you, Jesus, are always spoke with kindness because you have perfect kindness and demonstrated perfect kindness and so we cling to your righteousness even in the midst of our shortcomings. Thank you God for the kindness that you've shown us in Christ and oh would you make us like that. In Christ's name, amen.